Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another podcast episode of Mysterious Headlines. Today, we had another day of trial in the Lori Vallow Daybell case. Now, if you are not caught up on this case and this trial, you can go back into my podcast archive. I have been uploading a podcast episode every day with a recap of that day's trial. So you can go back and get caught up. We are in week two of essentially week two of trial with witnesses taking the stand. And today we had some more witnesses step to the stand. So this morning, um, Nathan Moffitt for the Chandler um, Police Department, he's a detective there, stepped up to the witness stand. He said that on July 11th, 2019, again, that was the day Charles Vallow died, he responded to their house. He said he walked into the house and he found Charles Vallow laying on the ground. He said that he was asked to interview Alex. So Alex told him that he spent the night at Lori's house because he planned to do something the next day. He said that Charles and Lori got in an argument and that Alex then intervened. He said he never saw it get physical And he wouldn't tell Detective Moffitt what the argument was regarding. Moffitt said he saw a small laceration on the back of Alex's head. Not one that would be consistent with being hit hard with a baseball bat by an athletic man. Remember, Charles Vallow was a former baseball player. He had played in college. And so if he was going to hit someone with a baseball bat, he would know how to really swing a baseball bat and how to do some damage. And Moffitt said the small laceration he saw was not consistent with being hit very hard with a baseball bat by someone that's athletic. Alex told Moffitt that he was hit in the head and that he then went to his room to get his gun. Alex said he told Charles to drop the bat. And Charles said to Alex, what are you going to do about it? And he came towards Alex. And then that's when Alex pulled the trigger more than once. Alex told Moffat that he thought he shot Charles in the torso area. But Moffat said, no, you shot him twice, once in the abdomen and once in the chest. Alex told Moffat that after um, he shot Charles, he went into the kitchen, he washed his hands, and then he went into his room that he was staying in, and he called 911. Then he said he did CPR, and Alex told Moffat he did not know where JJ and Tylee were at the time of all this occurring. He made it a point to say multiple times to... Detective Moffitt, that he was not at the house to protect Lori. And Lori, at the same time, was being interviewed by a different detective, and she said multiple times that she asked Alex to be there at his house, at her house, to protect her. So, conflicting stories there. Moffitt said they went back to their house after the interview. He said the scene was being processed for evidence. He said there was one bullet strike on the baseboard and another one on Charles's body. 
He said this was consistent with Charles being on the floor, laying on the floor when he was shot. And Moffat said him and Detective Yonclan drove back to the house with Alex, Tylee, and Lori in the car. He said the ride was really bizarre. It was very lighthearted. They were just chatting and... Moffitt then said he got a promotion in July of 2020, so he was no longer on the case, and Nathan Duncan, the other detective, took over. So they asked him, um, prosecution asked, are finances often a motive for homicides? And Moffitt said yes. And Moffitt said he learned that Charles had a $1 million policy life insurance policy and that there was a recent change in beneficiary it had gone from changed from Lori to Kay and Moffitt said they contacted insurance the insurance company July of of July 17th of 2019 and Lori tried to file a claim but the claim was denied and there was no payout there was no cross-examination of Nathan Moffitt so then Sidney Woodbury Schenk stepped up to the stand. So she was attending BYU Idaho in 2019, the college, and she said she was looking for a nanny or babysitting job. And so she placed a listing on a site saying that she was looking for baby and nanny sitting, baby babysitting and nanny jobs. She said that Lori replied to her listing and told her she needed help with her son, JJ. Sydney said they exchanged numbers and texted regarding when to set up an interview. Lori told her that he was special needs and that she needed some extra help. So Sydney said they met on Wednesday, September 18th, 2019 at Lori's house. She said Lori told her about JJ's behaviors and said that Charles had recently died of a heart attack and that J.J. was having a really hard time understanding things since his father's death. And Sydney said she never saw a teenager there, but Lori said she had a teenage daughter who was at college and she would sometimes come to visit for dinner to do laundry. And she told her that Tylee didn't like to babysit unless she was getting paid. And so that's why Lori had decided to hire a babysitter or nanny. Sydney said she then came the next day, which would have been September 19th, to babysit. She said she watched JJ for a few hours. She said Lori told her she could take JJ to the trampoline park and that it would be fine. It didn't matter if they were gone a little later because Lori could give JJ meds to help him fall asleep faster when they got home. Um, she, Sydney said JJ got into a dispute with some of his friends over toys. She said he had been playing outside. She called him inside and he was kind of upset and he went to his room. And she said when Lori got home, she explained what had happened to her. And she said Alex and one of Lori's friends were there and Lori paid her in cash. She said a few days later, she texted Lori to basically say like, hey, do you need my help again? And Lori told her that JJ had gone to his grandparents and that he was going to be gone for a month. So Sydney said she waited a month and then she texted Lori after a month had passed. 
to say, hey, you know, it's been a month. Do you need any more assistance kind of thing? And she said she never got a response. Sydney said she never saw JJ after the date of September 19th. So then um, the defense cross-examines and they basically asked her if she had a set schedule. She said, no, I did not have a set schedule. Lori just told me that she would call me when she needed. And they said, you know, was the premise that you were only going to babysit once? And she said, no, I expected for months, for the next several months after, you know, we talked that I was going to be utilized as a babysitter and nanny frequently. And so then Sydney stepped down from the witness stand. So then they called up detect, um, they called up Josh Wilson, who was the principal for Kennedy Elementary in Rexburg, Idaho at the time, um, 2019. He said that JJ was a student and that Lori was listed as the parent um, on the documents. He said JJ enrolled September 3rd of 2019 and was enrolled until September 24th. He said the last official day that he was at school was September 20th. He said that he got an email on September 24th from Lori, and Lori was asking him, or basically telling him, hey, we're going to be taking JJ out of school. She said he's going to be moving to Louisiana to live with his grandparents. And Wilson said he then called Lori and said, hey, once he's in Louisiana, have that his new school call us so we can send over the records, which is a common thing that schools do. They will send records from one school to the next if, you know, if a kid is moving a school, just so that they have all the records of academic records, any behavior records, um, anything like that that's important for the new school coming in to know. Then... Lori said she replied to him and said, actually, he's not moving. We're homeschooling him. She said um, he has a cousin with similar needs and they're going to work together and do homeschooling. And Wilson said, okay, well, we will keep the records until he gets re-enrolled in a public school. So then Wilson gets cross-examined and they asked him about, you know, when he met JJ, and he said he met JJ the day that he enrolled on September 3rd when Lori came to the school to get him enrolled. That's when he met JJ, and he said he seemed like a really nice kid, and he said, my understanding was that it was going to be for the long term. It was going to be for the remainder of the school year, but obviously that's not what ended up happening. So then Josh steps down from the witness stand. So then they call up Wynne Hill, who is the Dean of Students at BYU, Idaho. So she said they use student management systems to track students so they can track current students, past students, and any students, any students that have applied to the school but maybe didn't end up going. But they can track all of those students in their student management system. So she said that February 28th of 2020, LE reached out to her and asked her to look for Tylee Ryan in her system to see if she had applied, if she was a current student there or had been a previous student, 
And when got back to LE and basically told them, nope, she never applied or was never a student at the school. There was no cross-examination when stepped down from the witness stand. So then they went to call up David Warwick to the witness stand. Now, there was a little bit of drama, if you will, in calling him up to the stand um, because he said that he had listened to some of Melanie's testimony. So she testified um, last week. She was one of the first couple witnesses to take the stand. And David, as you know, he um, was Melanie's girlfriend, actually husband. He's still technically Melanie's husband. Um, so he said that he listened to about 45 minutes of Melanie's testimony last week. And then he realized that he wasn't supposed to be doing that, so he turned it off. And so that was a point of contention, and the defense was arguing that he shouldn't even be allowed up on the stand. And because he violated rules and he should be excluded from testifying, um, he, David Warwick, said, because they asked him, like, well you know, you know, what do you remember hearing? And he said he wasn't really listening to it for the content, but more so to hear like her voice tone, her inflection and her emotion. And he said she sounded very somber. And he also admitted to reading two different articles um, he said one article was about Alex and Zulema, and another article was about Lori, but he said they didn't really have anything to do too specific with the trial. Um, so there was a little back and forth between the defense and the prosecution with the judge determining if they were going to allow him to testify, and basically the judge ruled that they were going to let him testify. They said they didn't think that what the two articles he had read and the um, hearing the 45 minutes of Melanie's testimony was going to affect his testimony. So they allowed him to step onto the witness stand. So again, he is Melanie Gibbs' husband. They married December 12th of 2021. So um, he lives in Utah and Melanie lives in Arizona. They have a distant relationship um, but they're still technically married. So David said he met Lori the first week um, of August 2019. He said he had talked with Chad a few years prior. Chad had reached out to him and said, hey, we think you would be great to write like a book with me kind of thing. And he said he told Chad like, no, I'm not really interested. Um, so that had been like the first time he had kind of interacted with, with Chad but then he didn't officially meet Chad until 2019. Um, he said um, September 20th to 23rd, he went to Rexburg. And he said he went there to see his son who lives in Pocatello. And to record a podcast with Lori and Melanie. He said he had planned to stay at a hotel in Idaho Falls. But then Lori said, no, I have an extra bedroom. You can stay with me. So... He said he had never met JJ prior to going to Rexburg for this weekend. Um, 
he said that he tried to play with JJ. He said he has a son that has autism and Down syndrome. And so he, like, he understands um, children with special needs. But he said JJ just wouldn't acknowledge him. He'd try to play with him. He'd try to talk to him. And he would just kind of got ignored. He said there, there was no Tylee. He didn't see her at all. He was told that she was attending BYU-Idaho. He said JJ played outside with his friends a lot, and he seemed really happy. David said he didn't believe Chad and all this light and dark stuff and all these evil spirits. He said he just didn't really believe Chad in any of his teachings. He said that Chad wanted him to go see 80 Acres for sale um, near his house. David said he had an investor a friend who like was an investor who was interested in possibly buying property. So they went to look at it together um, for his friend. Um, David was asked about, um, or David asked Chad about his marriage because he said Lori and Chad were, you know, very flirtatious together and he could tell that they were kind of a couple, but he also knew that Tammy was, Chad was still married to Tammy And so he asked Chad about that, and Chad said, Tammy's a good wife, but he said, her time is coming up. He said, I've had this dream, I had this dream, you know, three years ago that she was going to die prior to 50 years old. I've just had this vision. So then David said they recorded a podcast at Lori's house, and he, at that time, he was told JJ was with Alex. Then he said at 10.30 p.m. that night, the front door opened and Alex came into the house carrying JJ in his arms with JJ asleep on his shoulders. And David said that night he had a terrible nightmare. He said Melanie even woke up. She heard him scream and went to see what was wrong. And Melanie said she really wanted to get um, Melanie and Chad to come and pray a blessing over David. And so she went to try and get them, and she didn't get a response. So then um, David said they woke up that morning, and him and Melanie went downstairs to say goodbye to everybody. And uh, Melanie had told Lori about his nightmare. Um, And... David told her about it as well, and then Lori told David that J.J. had an episode, and he had climbed on the cabinets, he had knocked over a picture, clawed on the refrigerator, and that she had called Alex to come take care of him. David said he didn't see any damage on the cabinet, didn't see any, like, scratch marks on the refrigerator, nothing of the sort. David said he asked to see JJ so that he could give him a blessing. And Lori said, Alex came to get him. He's not here. She told him that she had sent JJ with Alex. And this was um, September 23rd, 2019. So then David is cross-examined. They asked where David lives. He said he lives in Pleasant Grove, Utah. And that Melanie lives in Chandler, Arizona. They asked him who the audience of the podcast was that he was recording. And he said it was 
for people of the LDS faith. And he said it was for education, not for money. We weren't trying to make a profit. We were just trying to educate people. And they asked him, like, well, what do you think about, you know, when Charles told you that he had a premonition that Tammy was going to die before the age of 50? You know, what do you think about that? And he said, you know, I just really wasn't sure what to think about that or what to believe. Then um, they took a break in the trial and they came back and the judge decided that he said the trial is going faster than expected. They're getting through witnesses faster than expected so that um, he said they will have tomorrow off. So Friday, they are not going to have trial um, because things are simply going faster than expected. So people will get a three-day weekend. So then David stepped off the witness stand. So then they called up Bruce Mattingly. So he works for the Fremont County Sheriff's Department. So he said that January 3rd of 2020, they served a search warrant at Chad's property. They, he said they took evidence um, from his house and they took it to the Sheriff's Office of St. Anthony. And then they said they didn't have any more questions for him and that he will be testifying later. So um, Bruce Mattingly stepped off the witness stand. So then they called up Benjamin Dean, who was an FBI intelligence analyst. So he said he works out of the Salt Lake Field Office and he works for the Crime Investigation Squad. And his job is basically to analyze info. So he said um, he was asked to review tips um, following a press release um, uh, on March 5th, 2020. So this press release was talking about J.J. and Tylee being in Yellowstone. So he said he basically um, asked for any visitors that had been to Yellowstone around that time frame for any pics and videos that they had. Then he said he was also asked to review electronic devices um, in January of 2020. He said there were two Blu-ray discs that they had taken from Chad Dable's house. They said one of them belonged to one of his kids, and the other one had some information like some emails from Tammy's cell phone and some cellular data from Tammy's cell phone. Um, He said um, the one email was sent on September 9th of 2019, and it was from Chad to Tammy. Or, sorry, a text, not an email. Was sent September 19th, 2019, from Chad to Tammy. Um, and this was at 11.53 a.m. And I've talked about this before in other podcast episodes, but this was the text message where he told Tammy that a raccoon had got onto the property and was making a ruckus. And so he ended up shooting the raccoon just to get rid of it and that he buried the raccoon in the pet cemetery. And after he says that at 11.53, at 11.56, he texts Tammy again saying, I'm going to take a shower and then I'm going to go to BYU campus to write. And Tammy didn't text back until 2.48 and she basically told him, like, oh, good, like, regarding him shooting the raccoon, good. And then she said, I'm back home. So then um, Benjamin Dean, they had no cross-examination for him, so he stepped down from the witness stand. So then they called up um, Detective Stubbs, who works for the Rexburg Police Department. 
So he went over some exhibits that he um is that they're going to be adding into um evidence. So Amazon records, insurance info, travel records, documents from Spring Creek Book Company, Tammy Dable's Gmail account, Fitbit records, cell records, hotel receipts, bus documents, and life insurance documents. So then he goes into breaking down some of these documents. So he said November 1st, 2019 is when he first got involved in the case, and he was given information from the Arizona Police Department and or Chandler Police Department, and he said they contacted their department saying that they were interested in this Jeep that had a Texas license plate and it was involved in the shooting in Arizona. And they gave Stubbs the names Lori Vallow, Alex Cox, J.J. Vallow, and Tylee Ryan. Stubbs said he went to their residence, Lori's residence, and he set up surveillance. And he said they did surveillance at different locations. He said they were unable to locate the Jeep on November 1st, but they found the Jeep on November 4th. He said that while he was doing surveillance, he saw Lori and Chad coming and going into a blue Subaru car. He said he followed that car, hoping that that would lead to the Jeep. Um, He said this particular night, it ended up in Idaho Falls. He said they stopped at a Mountain American Credit Union and then Hobby Lobby. He said um, he took pictures of Chad and Lori walking into the store. They were holding hands together. They prosecution asked if he if Stubbs was aware of their relationship of Chad and Lori's relationship and he said he was told that they were together. So November 4th the Jeep is found at apartment 175 or at the parking space associated with apartment 175. He said they towed the Jeep to the impound lot and they said Joseph Ryan and Tylee Ryan were the two names registered on the Jeep. We know Joseph Ryan is Tylee's dad. He said nobody ever inquired about the Jeep. Nobody called, came to the impound lot, nothing. He said they even reached out about the Jeep and they got no response. So then he said November 26th, he was asked to return to Lori's apartment after Kay had requested a welfare check. So the Jeep was seized on November 4th. And then November 26th is when he's asked to return regarding the welfare check. He said him and Lieutenant Ball went to the apartment. They knocked on the door and he said they were wearing body camera footage. So the judge asks to play the body cam footage, which is about five minutes long. So we're going to kind of break down here what it shows on the body cam footage. So they walk in the door. It's a sunny day. Stubbs says to Detective Ball, her car is out there too. It's in the back, a blue Subaru. They knock on the door. Lori lets them in. She tells them that JJ's in Arizona. And she says, you know, what's all this? And Ball says that they're concerned and that officers earlier got a bad vibe because they couldn't find JJ. Lori tells them that one of her brothers is trying to kill her to get her $2 million of life insurance. And she said, there's been a lot going on this past year. It's been a horrible year for us. We had to move around. She said that, um, 
Kay had been fighting to get access to JJ. And Lori said her husband switched the life insurance policy to Kay and that Kay got $1 million. She said Kay was going to try to sue me for JJ and I have nothing. She said, I don't tell people the truth about where we are or what we're doing. She said, everyone is causing me trouble. She said her brother in Kansas is trying to kill her. And Detective Ball asks if they need to be concerned. And Lori said she's going to move back to Arizona to live with Melanie Gibb. But she said, don't tell anyone. So then the officers leave. Stubbs and Ball leave. Um, Stubbs says they were concerned about their safety because it was evident that they were, she, Lori was being evasive and she was lying. Lori had said Alex was there, but he didn't come downstairs, but he said they could hear movement at the top of the stairs. And he said the whole time he was kind of concerned that Alex might come down the stairs, like sneak down the stairs and like surprise them and who knows what he would do. Stubbs said um, he went back to the apartment and under the clause of we're going to see if she will call Mel because, or Melanie, because apparently Melanie had not been answering Melanie Gibb. And so he said, you know, we're going to go back to the apartment. We're going to talk to Lori, see if she can get Melanie to answer. So he said, Lori answered the door and she said, oh, you can't get a hold of Melanie because She's at Frozen 2, the Frozen 2 movie with JJ. And Stubbs told Lori that you need to have Melanie call us because we need to confirm the whereabouts of JJ. So he said that was his last encounter with Lori that day. He said they were able to reach Melanie. She told him she did not have JJ. She was not in Arizona and she had not gone to the movies. So then Stubbs said after assessing the statements, by and large, everything was inaccurate. JJ was not in Arizona. Tylee was not attending BYU. And Lori said Alex's, said um, Chad was Alex's friend, which was not true. Um, he said, Stubbs said he investigated her brother in Kansas, you know, threatening to kill her and found no evidence regarding that. He, Stubbs determined that Tylee had never been enrolled in BYU and that JJ was re-enrolled at a special needs school in Arizona that he had previously gone to. So she had re-enrolled him there, but he did not actually go to any days of school there. Stubbs said he attempted to get a search warrant for um, the apartment to look for evidence for JJ. That's when they obtained three warrants for the three different apartments. And there's video footage um, from that time when they go to apartment 174 and 175. So on this video, they announce that they're entering apartment 175. They explain we're recording the whole house. They note that there were keys on the kitchen counter. There was an envelope from, um, Amazon on the front porch. And in the garage, they noted that there were couches, tables, guns, and totes. They go upstairs in the master bath or master bedroom. There were no clothes in the closet. There was a towel hanging on the door by the shower. They go into another room and they see two small computer desks with a printer 
On the printer is a lease agreement for the Self Storage Plus in Lori's name. Then they go to the laundry room. Um, and then there's like a, a closet with the water heater and a furnace. Then um, there was also a bathroom upstairs and two bedrooms. He said um, one of the bedrooms had a double bed and a closet, and in that closet was boxes and clothes. In the other bedroom was a single bed. The bedding was on the floor. There were three guitars and cases, and there was a duffel bag with toiletries and cologne in it. And then there were two samurai swords in the closet, and there were a couple empty laundry baskets. So that is where things ended today. They decided to end the day. And again, court will not be back till Monday. They are having a three-day weekend. So um, we will not hear again from anybody until Monday. It's likely that Detective Stubbs will be back on the stand Monday morning um, for some cross-examination. Um, but some things that stood out to me today. Um, the confirmation that... They were surveilling the Jeep before they even got the welfare check information. Because um, that's something kind of new. Because I always thought, like, okay, they didn't really know about Lori or Tylee or JJ or anything until they got the information for the welfare check. But they were already surveilling for kind of a different reason. Because um, that Jeep had shot at Brandon Boudreaux. And so they were already digging into it. And then they get the welfare check information from Kay asking for the welfare check. And that's when they're like, oh, shit. Those are the kids connected to the Jeep that they had already been surveilling. So I think that to them was was an oh, shit moment of like, oh, no, like this is wild. We've been surveilling the Jeep related to this other thing. And now... We have pieces of the puzzle to put the two together. So, um, and I, I certainly think that really helped them that they already kind of had been surveilling for this Jeep and had a little bit of information so that when they got the call from Kay and asked for the welfare check, they were like, hey, we already know kind of who these people are a little bit. So they were able to kind of act on things pretty quickly um, and get the ball rolling in searching for the kids. Um, and just more, more evidence that, that Lori knew that these things were going to happen. She knew that these things were going to happen and she was making plans. She was making plans to prepare for the kids not being there. I would love to know what your thoughts are so far in the trial. What are you thinking? Um, I think there's kind of two camps still with this trial. I think most people believe that she's definitely guilty and she definitely wanted these kids dead. She wanted Charles dead. She wanted Tammy dead. But I think there's two camps. There's the camp of people that believe that she was so in heavily into this belief of the light and dark and the spirits and the castings and everything that Chad was teaching that she was almost she was like in this cult and she was brainwashed and 
really thought that these were things she had to do to get rid of her children. And then there's or these things she had to do for like to her children and to Tammy and Chad. And they were like the will of the Lord. And then there's another camp that thinks she was just purely making these decisions because she wanted money and she wanted Chad. And the way to get to money and Chad was kill Tammy, kill Charles, kill JJ, kill Tylee. So I'd love to know what you camp, what camp you fall into. Um, at this point in the trial, do you think she was brainwashed and she was under the guise of Chad who was just had her wrapped around his finger and had her believing all these crazy things? Or do you think she was simply doing this for money, love, lust? Let me know. You can chime in on the conversation at MYS Headlines on Twitter and on Instagram, MYS Headlines Pod. That is where you can chime in on the conversation. Let me know what you think. As always, thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button wherever it is you are listening to this podcast so you can be notified the next time I upload a podcast episode. So the next one for Lori's trial will be um, on Monday because that will be the next day of trial that they have. So we have a couple day break and then we will resume on Monday with more witnesses called to the stand. Another side note, before I wrap up this podcast episode, they did announce yesterday that Chad Dabel will not be taking the stand in this trial, which I'm not really surprised about because I don't know why Chad would want to take the witness stand in this trial. I don't think it would do him any good, and I don't think it would do Lori any good either. And if he did take the stand... There's a high chance that he would just plead the fifth and not say anything anyway. So I really don't think it's to the benefit of anybody else. But there has been a thought process. Well, okay, if Chad was to testify, then um, and like basically throw Lori under the bus and say like, yeah, this is all Lori's fault, then she might do the same thing in his trial. But now that he's not taking the witness stand, Will Lori take the witness stand in her own defense? Will she get up there and talk? I don't think it would be in her best interest. I really don't. And I don't think anybody thinks that. I I think it would not go well for her. But that's a decision that might happen now that Chad Daybill is not taking the witness stand. Maybe she'll step up there and try and advocate for herself. I don't know. We'll have to see as things progress in this case but again hit that subscribe button where you will stay notified every time i post a new podcast episode thank you for listening we'll talk again soon